a rigged system, class warfare, and a message of hope. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. And if you don't know, those opening words and what those opening words are from, what famous book they're from, I suggest you do some research and read the book, because it's it's a really good read. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a lot to talk about, because I want to talk to you and continue what I've been talking to you about for the last three, four weeks about coronavirus, but talking to you about it from not the 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 health aspect or the fear aspect or everything you hear in the media, but talking to you about how this is changing our very way of life. This is changing our very way of dealing with government. And I want to take a step back today, right at the start, and I want to talk to you about something that's going to divide a lot of people who listen to this show, because I want to talk to you and explain to you why I believe the Bible is one of the most critical books you will ever read, if not the most critical book. If you're a Christian, it clearly has to be, the, you know, it's kind of important. You know, it's it's kind of up there. But one of the reasons I love the Bible and scriptures is because, and I believe even if you don't believe in Jesus or you don't believe in God, or even if you're an atheist or a Buddhist or a Muslim, whatever you are, I believe you should read it because in inside of it, there's a lot of stories and a lot of principles that are pretty important to life. And two of the principles that I think is very important that we need to talk about today, one is from scriptures. And we've spoken about this at length over the years on this show is when it comes to helping someone, when it comes to, hey, you have a need, is it best, is it humane, is it compassionate to go, you have a need, here you go. There you go, whatever you need. There's 50 bucks, there's 100 bucks, there's 1,000 bucks. Or is the compassionate thing to do is to go, you know what? You have a need. I'm going to teach you how to fix your need so you're not dependent on anyone else. Which is the more humane? Which is the more compassionate? Give a man a fish or teach a man how to fish? The reason I start off with this is because it's very key principle to understanding government it's very key to understanding what should the government's aim be but i want you to park that principle just for a side just for one second and then i want to ask you a question that's going to kind of bring you back to your childhood do you remember when you were a child and you were play acting or you were with your friends and something would go wrong you know something would go wrong something would fall You'd kick a ball against the door that you weren't supposed to do. Just do something stupid. And your parent would come in and go, what the hell is going on here? 
And automatically, without fail, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're young, whether you're like a five years old or 15 years old, you automatically went, they did it. And you point the finger at someone else. Hey, it's always them. Did that ever work for you? Did that ever get to you? Oh, okay, it's their fault. Or was it always a case of, listen, he's wrong, you're wrong, you're both wrong. And two wrongs don't make a right. Those are two principles I'd ask you to ask yourself. Do you believe in them? Do you believe two wrongs ever make a right? And do you believe the aim of humanity should be to teach people how to fish and not constantly give them fishes? Now I want to talk to you about government. Because I believe government, we have government all wrong. And when I say we have it all wrong, I'm talking about in an Irish point of view, an English point of view, a European point of view, is that we all look at government different to the way the founding fathers looked at it. But even today, I think we have it all wrong. Because what I see government as, and I've been trying to think of an analogy to break this down for you, and the best one I can think of is government is like a mechanical wheel running downhill. Because everything it does, it continues rolling. That wheel will not stop, and it's going downhill. And in some cases, it's going to get faster and faster and faster. Now, if you use that analogy, if you can imagine, how do you stop that? How do you stop that hill? How do you stop that wheel coming down that hill, getting faster and faster and faster as gravity kicks in? If you stand in front of that and go, stop, guess what's going to happen? Sorry, baby, see ya. You're getting crushed. And in so many ways, that's what happens to our world today. But the reason I say we've got government wrong is because I think, and this is not about individuals, because everyone always go, when you talk about government, you go, oh, well, my politician, my congressman, my senator is different. Just take this as a grand overlay. Government is a rigged system, and it isn't in its best interest to be efficient. You know, for people on the right who believe in, you know, what I would call Reagan principles or traditional conservatism, where you believe in the Constitution and limited government, where, if that is efficient, if that actually works, what is the role of government? Where is the, where is the incentive for government to be better? Where is the incentive for politicians to run if everything runs smoothly? Now, I believe We've been looking at government the whole, wrong the whole time in the sense that it, it doesn't seek to be efficient. It just seeks to do what no one else will. And it understands that the more inefficient it is, because of human nature, as we spoke about last week, because of human nature not liking chaos, and because of human history where we always seek to control what we don't understand... Government has that security that, yes, it might be run under a political leader or run by a different political party, but government as a business, government inc., shall we call it, it's always going to be around. They don't have to be efficient. In fact, the more inefficient, the bigger it gets. Because the more inefficient government is, guess what happens? The more inefficient, then someone else will run under a different political party or under a different presidential party or depending on what country you live in. Whether you live in America where it's a president and, and a congress or whether you live in Great Britain where it's a parliamentary system, the more inefficient government is, the better. 
Because what happens, someone new comes in and they will have their twist on government. They will decide, hey, guess what? This is the way government is going to run. Government is a rigged system. And no matter what, lately, it doesn't matter what country you're in, it seems it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And there's no stopping it. I want to give you a couple of examples of some of the things I have seen, what's going on right now around the world. And bear in mind, is ask yourself as I give you all these examples, because I have many examples I want to share with you today. Ask yourself, is that system working? And if you say no, think about all the solutions that not necessarily you would propose, but some other people would propose, the media, political parties. And then ask yourself, is the end result more government or less government? So I'm going to give you a simple example to start off with. Over in Ireland, we have, this will sound familiar to you if you like the, if you love the whole Obamacare debate, you're going to love this story. Because there's a lot of similarities in it. In Ireland, we have a, a, a tax. It's not a tax, it's an insurance, but it is a tax. We have a tax that is taken from our wages every, every paycheck, whether you're paid weekly, fortnightly, monthly. We don't have a choice. It's called PRSI. That stands for Pay Related Social Insurance. But it's a tax. But no, no, it's not a tax. It's an insurance. So am I start- is this starting to bring Obamacare flashbacks to you? It's not a tax. It is a tax. It's not a tax. It is a tax. They take a percentage of your wage every week, month. They also, based on your earnings, will take that tax from an employer at a higher rate. And the aim of this is to basically say, you know what, this is an insurance that you're paying into a little fund for yourself that let's say, God forbid, you know, I don't know, the economy goes to tank and you're out of a job or hey, COVID strikes. You're out of a job, you're sick, that you have some type of uh, benefit there for you. You know, you have an unemployment benefit, you have a, you know, an un- a sickness benefit, you have a, a COVID payment. Well, Here's the situation. Technically, you pay into this. So if you're ever off sick, everyone will always go, you should take your money. Why? Because you paid into it. It's your system. You paid it. It's an insurance. It's a tax, but it's an insurance. You paid into it. Well, a couple of weeks ago, you all might remember, I was very, very, very sick. So during this period of coronavirus, the government has issued new payment guidelines And it's basically given 350 euros a week to anyone who's affected by COVID. If you're out of a job and you can't work, 350 euros, baby. It doesn't matter whether you worked a week before this started or last year or last month or just started a day. If you're affected by COVID, you get 350 euros. Even for the people who were on benefits beforehand, they've got an increase. Well, a lot of people got that payment, including a lot of people I work with. I didn't. I was off sick for five weeks, and I got the standard rate of um, benefit that you get when you're sick. When I came back to a few people, asked me, "Did you get? Were you, you know, financially all right? Did you, you know, did you get through it?" And I went, "Yeah, it was all right. I'm I'm lucky. I'm in a really fortunate situation." And they said, "Oh, did you get your COVID payment?" No. What? Why? Because I didn't. I wasn't. Apparently, I wasn't entitled to it. But other people are getting it. Yeah, I know. The people who are affected by their job 
gets a COVID payment. The person who was in hospital, who was also potentially a, an actual COVID case, no, don't get it. What is the end result of that? For me, I don't need the money. Not bragging, but it's not my style. I'm not going to raise an issue. I'm just going to let it go. What would other people do? Other people go, no, you're entitled to that. You you paid into that system. You paid that insurance. You make sure you get everything you're entitled to. What's the end result? More government. More government. But then take things step one step further on a totally, that's a very small, minute example. I want to give you a bigger example. When you are living in this world, is there an incentive by government to be independent? Or do they want you living week to week? I use two examples for this. Savings. One of the things I am absolutely terrified of is that a lot of people are going to get a savings haircut over the next month, six months, 12 months. Because they've done it before, and I believe because of what they're doing right now with the economy, with printing money, that they're going to eventually need money. There's only so much you can constantly borrow and not have a big tax revenue. Because the tax intake for Ireland, for England, for Europe, for America is all way down. Why is that? Because no one's working or very few people are working. That can't go on. So if you have been responsible and you have savings, I have a fear you're going to get a haircut. But also on the example of health insurance. Again, what aspect do you have? You know, Do you believe you should have your own health insurance? Well, a lot of people over here don't. Because why? Well, I've got the public health care system. So there's times where people like me have literally had no money, but we've paid our health insurance. Others didn't because they just didn't want it. They were out living. Who's going to be punished? Is the person with the health insurance going to be punished? Or is it the person who lives week to week? Why is the person who's living week to week getting more benefits? Because they need you dependent. They don't want you to be self-sufficient. They don't want you to be off the government reservation. They want you needing government. Why? Why do they want you needing government? Because, baby, if you need me, I get more power. I get more money. I get more control. I get more say over how things are going. And results? More and more government. Now we go on to stimulus. What's the situation right now in every country around the world ireland england america europe every country russia no one's exempt from this economies are tanking so what are governments doing in some way shape or form it looks different the amounts are different but effectively they're all bailing out the economy what's the end result more and more government that circle that mechanical wheel running downhill always just keeps grinding away baby it just keeps going round and round and round again the policies change between donald trump and nancy pelosi and leo Varadkar in ireland and boris johnson in england and vladimir putin in russia the policies all change the policies and the principles that change even the intention behind them because i know people go well my politician oh i my politician is different they're more noble okay maybe that's true What's the end result? More and more government. But then to make this cycle just keep going and going and going even further, you have a situation there where countries around the world are printing unbelievable amounts of money. The printing presses are on. The one job that's secure in the world right now is if you print money, baby, you're guaranteed a job. 
Because it's just honest to God. I, I read some of the stories from around the world, the amount of money people are borrowing. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's just print, baby, print, 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 baby, print. Just never stops. Now ask yourself one question. When you have a printing press where money is just constantly been printed and printed and printed, who does that affect the most in society? The end result, it, it varies, it goes through different stages, but the long-term end result of printing of money is of devaluation of the currency. The simple example for you for this is, if you can remember, I don't know, go back into your time machine when you were a little baby boy or girl, depending on what age you are right now. And think about 2010. Remember? It was your tree of Barack Obama. Hope and change, baby! Yeah! Hope and change. Yes, I can. Yes, we will. Oh, 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 oh. Remember about 2010? And I want you to imagine going into your, you know, Walmart, Target, you know, wherever you shop. You got 20 bucks. I want you to think about what that 20 bucks will buy you. Now go in today and think of, compare what that 20 bucks will buy you. I guarantee you, no matter what you thought about buying, it will buy you less. Unless it's gas. Gas might be the only thing that's exempt, but there's a reason for that economically and everything that's happening. But if you're buying beer, if you're buying eggs, if you're buying bread, if you're buying crisps, chocolates, you name it, across every industry, that $20 buys you less today than it did before so who does this affect you think deflation of money affects the rich do you think it's going to affect the donald trumps of the world the people who own private jets do you think it's going to affect the glenn becks do you think it's going to affect you know elon musk now sure it will affect them in some way in the sense of it they'll be higher able to hire less people they'll be able to you know make less profit which means they'll pay less tax there's potential all those type of things but their day-to-day living if their money gets devalued by 10% next year, Donald Trump's still having a private jet. Donald Trump still has, well, I don't know, whatever he's called his private jet. You know, big that big black jet with Trump on it. He still has access to any car he wants. He can go buy a 10 Bentleys tomorrow. He's not going to blink over it. Glenn Beck, people like him, Elon Musk, they're not going to have, their standard of living isn't changing if the currency goes down 10%. You want to know who it does affect, though, the most? The most vulnerable in society. Those people who are earning seven bucks, 25 cents an hour, the minimum wage. That's who will be affected. That's who will be affected most. Because guess what? If you're paying living paycheck to paycheck, if you're living in a point of view where you're like, you know what? We literally need every penny we have. And then all of a sudden, that dollar is worth 5%, 10%. And I'm using small amounts here. There's a chance with the amount of money printed around the world, you could see 20%, 30% devaluation of the currency. Imagine that. Imagine having your dollar worth 70 cents. Just think about that. Now think about that if you earn, what's that, 725, 280, 300 bucks a month, a week. You're on minimum wage. Imagine that only been $210. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think food stamps are going to go up then? Do you think people are going to be more dependent on governments? The answer to all of these is no matter what happens, whether right has charged, left has charged lately, it seems government just keeps growing and growing and growing.
want you to put everything I just said, just park that just to one side for one second. We're going to come back to it, and I'm going to tie a nice little bow into it for you. I see something happening in America, but around the world, that is going to cause a lot of pain if it's not dealt with the right way. Historically, human history, man always seeks to dehumanize people who are different. It has always done this. It's an easy way to get power. It's an easy way to, you know, solidify your existence. In fact, in some ways, it's easy to fool yourself by dehumanizing other people. If you can't look inwards and say, hey, look how great I am, or I've got confidence, I'm so good at ABC. Well, if I can't do that, I'll point at someone else. And instead of pointing out my own, you know, attributes, I'll point out their failures. That's the human psyche. That's what bullies do. You know, there's a, there's an amazing science behind this where people say, look, you know, the amount of people who are bullies, they all have a usually have a common train in them. They've been bullied themselves in the past. They feel bad about themselves. They've been made to feel little. Guess what they do? To get better, instead of improving themselves or getting confidence, they actually go, look, you know what? Instead of, don't look at me, look at them. Look how bad they are. Look at how ugly they are. Look at how fat they are. Look at how poor they are. Look, they don't come from the right class. They don't really have the right makeup. You see this in Marxism, where it pits the classes against each other. It pits the masses of one class against the masses of another class in fact that's how i got this show for some of the newer listeners you know people ask me how did i get in the place you know some people who are only finding this show over the last couple of months it's a simple story as much as i like glenn beck i rang into a show one day because he was using a term that was annoying me he kept using the term middle class and for me that's a term no american should ever ascribe to because it goes against the foundation of your country and I rang in and said, listen, dude, you know, you got to stop using these words. This word, is especially, it goes against the meaning, it dehumanizes, it boils into Marxism. And we spoke for 20 minutes, and he seemed to like what I had to say, and people went behind the scenes and did a bit of research on me, got in communication with a few people, and they said, hey, why don't you do your own show? This is one of my pet peeves. It maybe irrationally makes me upset, but you cannot have a class system in America. Class systems are not good because it's never about your attributes of, hey, why we're better. It's always why they're worse. Why did I talk to you about class systems? Because you're about to see two class warfares, and they won't be built as class warfare. What they will be built on is a different structure, but it will have the same end result. The first one comes from New York City. New York City right now, there is a big movement with the hashtag cancel rent and it's basically seeking to stop paying rent because people can't afford it or because they all got bailed out i want to talk to you briefly about this if you're in a situation and you're living in new york or it doesn't matter where you're living and you're in a situation there where you're out of work and you're struggling to make ends meet I encourage you to get all the help you can get. I encourage you to speak to your landlord and go, look, I'm not refusing to pay, but this is the situation. Can we come to an agreement? Absolutely go for it. 
I wouldn't want to be in any of those situations. I feel your pain. As someone who has lived in a version of poverty, some version of poverty, you know, a lot of my adult life, I know what it's like to have no money. I'm not demeaning it. I'm not trying to make it simplified. I'm not looking down on you. I feel your pain. I've been there. It's not a fun situation. However, that's not what I think this is. And if I'm wrong on this, if I, you know, if, if reports come out on this and it's just genuine people struggling and they're not doing, and that's what they've decided to do, then I apologize. But I don't think this is what that is. I think there are some people in that situation who are, I can't afford it and I'm not paying it. But I think the movement from my bit of research is based in class warfare. Because what did we talk about in the first part of the show where we talked about government? That regardless of government's efficiency or inefficiency, the end result is always the same. Government grows. What I believe this is an example of is that people are seeing the rich. You know those millionaires and billionaires that we all hate? They're all getting bailed out. What about the little guy? And I believe this is going to stroke the fans of, if you remember, uh, uh, what was it? What the? Oh, I've had a mind blank. What was the the all the the Wall Street protests? Remember under Obama? Occupation, well, uh, Occupy Wall Street. Sorry, I had a mind freeze there for a second. Occupy Wall Street. You're going to see this type of hey, they're rich and they're getting there. They're getting bailed out. I'm a little guy. What about me? And what's the end solution? Government's going to get involved and government's going to get more power. Now, full disclosure, I say this as someone who was open to a suspension of rent. You know, if John had a magic wand and John, you know, I don't know, had the ear of the president or had the ear of the Taoiseach in Ireland or, or had the ear of, you know, the prime minister in England and they were, you know, going, hey, we have this virus and, you know, to shut down the economy. John, what should we do? I would have said suspend rents. I would have said suspend mortgages. Make it as easy as possible for people to stay in business, for people to stay afloat. And what's the biggest bill they have? What's the biggest bill usually in a household? Mortgage. What's the biggest bill usually in a business? If not the biggest, one of the biggest. Your rent. Your your council taxes. Suspend all of them. Basically make it impossible for a bank to foreclose and just put the extra money that you've missed for the next month or three months or six months, ever how long it is, onto the end of it. But give every person and every business the opportunity to survive, to keep their house, to keep their business. So that's full disclosure. But when you start having this class warfare, and that's what I believe this is in New York, to say, if I'm wrong, get in touch with me, and I'll, I'll definitely I'll, have, I'll issue an apology and a retraction. But the stuff I have read has been seeped in class warfare. They got a bailout. I didn't. Now it's my turn. These fat cats are always getting bailed out. To which, this is why I brought up the second principle at the start. Two wrongs don't make a right. It's going to be very easy to look at government over the next few months, especially with COVID and coronavirus and all these other things, and go, they got some, I where's my share? If you look at them, ask yourself the principal question. Is it right that they got theirs? If the answer is yes, then maybe you have a potential for a grievance. But if you understand the principles of limited government and you look at them and go, that's not right, 
then why are you looking for something? Two wrongs don't make a right. The aim of this, if you believe in liberty, if you believe in freedom, if you believe in the vision of your founding fathers, the simple question is, what is the end goal? Is the end goal to be free? To be understand, you know what? I want to be free and I want to be independent of government and of everyone as possibly I possibly can. Or is it to be dependent? Is it to be I need someone? I need government. Because you see this in politics all around your country. It happens in Ireland. How you need that politician that belongs to that political party. You need that person as president. You need that person in the House. You need that person in the Senate. You need that person as sheriff. You need that person in your local Senate, in your local House, as governor, as mayor. It's always you need them. It's always built into, hey, you need us. The idea of government and government peat workers was that they're servants to you. How can you be a government servant to the people when they need you? How does that relationship coalesce? But as much as that troubles me in New York, there's other things starting to happen around the world. And you're going to start seeing these debates because this virus is not as bad as everyone has made it out to be. The numbers, we have good numbers now. This is not three, four months ago or three months ago where we didn't know where there was a lot of uncertainty and all we had is reports. We have data. We have a lot of data and we have data across multiple of countries, whether it's Spain, whether it's England, whether it's France, whether it's Italy, whether it's Ch- well, China, I wouldn't even pay any attention to their figures because they're absolutely laughable. Whether it's Brazil, whether it's America, whether it's Russia, we have a lot of data. We have a lot of data, but who's affected? We have a lot of data on who dies. We have a lot of data on what were the conditions of their death. But you're going to start seeing this debate happen, especially as more people get desperate, of whether you should reopen the economy. And you're going to have another class warfare. And it's not going to be over class. It's going to be over whether you're working or not. And people are going to start going, I want to go back to work. A lot of people already are in America. You see these protests in New York, which is ironic, we just spoke about the rent strike. But there's a lot of protesters up in Albany which are really annoyed. They want to get back to work. They can't afford to be off. Business is not meant to stop. And you're going to start seeing the rhetoric. And the rhetoric is very clear from all the people around there. Oh, Like over here, we have this term, COVID idiot. Oh, you're a COVID idiot. No, I just want to live my life. I just want to go to work. Oh, you're a COVID idiot. Oh, you're so stupid. You just are so stupid. You don't get what there's everyone's saying. You don't get the importance of it. You're just dumb. Mm-hmm. Many times have we seen the political opponents name each other as dumb just because they dare have a different of opinion. But you're going to start seeing this. And the other word you're going to start seeing, which is why I talked about class warfare, is you're just greedy. You're just greedy. Oh, I want to go back to work. I want to earn money. Oh, what are you, greedy? You've started to see this word start becoming more and more popular. We need to be very clear at identifying what these tenants are. This is Marxism. This is stroking the fires of division. This is stoking the fires of hatred. And here's the problem. If you are a freedom-loving person, The easiest answer is to go, you know what? We're just going to combat fire with fire. Be very careful 
And this is where intellectuals on both sides of the aisle need to stand up and need to be held accountable because we need to start having honest conversations because here's the thing. If you believe in government, you don't really need to have an honest conversation because whether you're honest or whether you're dishonest, guess what happens? Government grows. We just spoke about all the examples earlier on and there's so many other ones I could have used. If you believe in freedom, we need to have a conversation to go, how do we stop this? How do we stop this? How do we get to a point where government isn't the answer? How do we get to a point where government isn't the solution? How about we get to the discussion about, you know what? Do you know what the solution is? Each and every one of you. But we need to understand all the obstacles we face. It's not a case of let's just go in hot-headed and go, I'm just going to tell you how it is. Because I see this online by so many people on both sides. I don't engage much online publicly anymore because it's just pointless. But I see this people having debates. And I'm just going to tell you how it is. And then guess what? No one ever changes their minds. And the problem is, as we discussed last week, human history and human nature stop freedom. They're oppressors of freedom. Why? Because we seek control. We seek chaos. We don't seek chaos. We seek normality. And that is what you're seeing right now. And we need to understand these battles that we're facing. We're facing, like last week, human history, human nature. And this week, we're facing cultural Marxism. We need to start identifying these enemies and start coming up and formulating a plan where we can combat them. Because if we don't, if we just continue on this path, I don't know who's going to win in 2020. I don't know who your president is. I don't know who controls the next Congress. I don't know who the next Prime Minister of Ireland is or who the next Prime Minister of England is. But I can tell you the end result. It's government, government, government for the win. I want to finish up today's show by just talking to you about two very simple principles. But before I do, I just want to give you a programming note for... I'm on uh, what I'm going to call summer vacation for the next two weeks. Um, if you're praying, if you're a prayer angel or a prayer warrior, I'd ask you to keep you in my prayers. My, my Over the last couple of weeks, my life has been turned upside down, and a lot of things have changed, and in many ways, not for the better. And there's a lot of uncertainty going on over here, and... Uh, I thought I had a certain thing I needed to do and I thought I was coming up with a plan and something happened and it my whole plan is just destroyed. Again, hey, and I think I'm on plan, what, 1,276,302 by now. But, you know, we just keep formulating plans and, the you know, the universe will keep coming and destroying them. It's this, it's, you know, it's like, you know, it's a game of footsie we play with each other. But I want to finish up today by talking to you about two principles. One. How many times have you seen online over the last week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, some expression of the following sentiment? Oh my God, I'm just so tired of coronavirus. I just want things to go back to normal. Many times have you heard that? I've heard, I've heard that so many times. And I, before anyone thinks, oh, I'm going to start judging people and, you know, been judgmental. No, I've actually used it myself. I'm Because I've been sick for a while, as you guys know, and... 
I'm still not 100%. I'm so tired. I'm, I literally come home most nights and I'm asleep. I eat. I go asleep. That's all I do at night because I am so tired. But I want to get back into the gym. Can't. I just want, I want things to go back to normal. I want to go back training. I need to lift weights. I'm, especially now as I'm going through, you know, some issues. You know, my normal thing was if I'm going through issues, go lift some weights, go clanging and banging. You know, make my arms so sore that they want to fall off by lifting weights. That was my stress reliever. I haven't got that anymore. So I just want things to go back to normal. But I want to talk to you about that for a couple of minutes. Why do we want things to go back to normal? You know, one of the things when you've been on the journey I have, and, you know, I don't share too much of this on the show because it'll bore you, but you understand that how critical your mindset is. You know, to people who have dealt with the issues I have, you know, who have had the thoughts I have and... You know, if you're a long-term listener, you know the thoughts I'm talking about. Where you understand that so much of the problems that you have are in your own head. It's your mindset. It's how you see things. And one of the great things about America and the American dream was that you have this mindset of that you have a God-given right to pursue your happiness. That was encouraging you. Go for it. Yes, go for it. It's why in 1960s when JFK was president, he went, we're going to go to the moon by the end of this decade. That, that was in, ingrained in the American spirit of, let's go for it. Let's have that mindset. Let's, you know, let's be adventurous. Let's, you know, there is no limit. The only limit you have in life is the one that you set yourself or the one that you accept that other people put on you. But you can do anything. You have greatness inside of you. That idea, that, that amazing American spirit. But it's all down to the mindset. So much of it. Sometimes you'll succeed and sometimes you'll fail. But it's that mindset that can get you going. This is where I want to talk to you about getting healthier for your mindset going forward. Was life three months ago so brilliant that we just want to go back to us? Was the Constitution followed three months ago? Were people not at each other's throat three months ago? Was not everything about politics three months ago? Were you fed up three months ago? Were you having frustrations three months ago? Were you pissed off, I don't know, at work? At your family? That's the environment, at at the culture? At kids? At older people? Was life so brilliant three months ago that you're like, I just want to go back? Or how about we use this as an opportunity? An opportunity to refocus. Yes, I'm going to use the religion. I'm going to I'm going to try and convert you to Jesus right now. When I say maybe this is an opportunity for us to kind of go, you know what? Especially if you're an American, you know what? Divine providence is real. That yes, we have a big part to play. That we play a critical role in this future of America. But that we cannot do this alone. And that this virus is a wake up call to go. You know what? You need the hand of the Almighty. And that it, maybe it's in our best interest to ask for his help. To humble ourselves and beg for his forgiveness. But that's the religious side of it. How about we look at our culture and kind of go, is there things we're doing right now that we suck at? That maybe we can use this as an opportunity to reevaluate and go, you know what? I'm going to be better. Maybe I'm going to do things differently. That maybe this is the shock that, you know what, gee... I never thought I, you know, a day would come where I couldn't get on a plane. Maybe I'm going to go do that traveling I wanted to do. Or maybe, you know what, I have this business opportunity and now I'm going to go for it. Because, you know what, I could have got coronavirus and died. 
Maybe this is a great opportunity to reevaluate your lifestyle and understand what's critically important. Because all the possessions in the world, all the fancy cars, all the big bank accounts, guess what? If a pandemic was really here and it was absolutely lethal and you caught it, it means nothing. You can have all the best doctors. When your time is up, it's up. Maybe let's use this as an opportunity to refocus on what's really important. To understand that, you know what? I don't hate you. Yes, you see things differently. Yes, you may be the most stupidest person I've ever met. But I don't hate you. Because you're my brother. You're my sister. That, yeah, deep down, we may disagree on a lot of key principles. But deep down, we're pretty similar. Because we have the same worries. And that's where I'm going to really annoy a lot of people because I want to talk to you about scriptures. You know, there's a story in the Bible I never understood. And if you're struggling for hope right now, if you're hurting right now, I'd ask you just to pay close attention to this story. Because from engaging with you, and granted I haven't engaged with you much over the last seven to ten days, but prior to that I found a lot of people who I was talking to hurting, frustrated, angry, obsessed, unsure. I want to share a story with you. And if you believe in, and you have a Bible, I would ask you to read the the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 2 to all the way down to 17. And I remember when I was reading this as a kid growing up, and as, you know, even up until recently, I never understood this story. Never understood it. Never meant sense to me. I understood what it was saying, but it was always, you know, straight, don't strike me down for saying this, but boring. You know, basically, it's the genealogy of Jesus, and it's a lot of names. I'll read some of them to you. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. And it continues on, and it continues on. And it's kind of boring. I always thought so anyway. But I understand from studying and from really reading it recently, over I think it was maybe a year ago that my opinion changed on this, is that we all have problems. We all have problems in the sense that everyone who's mentioned in this list of names played a key role for Jesus to come into existence. If you take any of these people out, Abraham's kind of big in the Bible. Jacob, Isaac, all these people are kind of big. But then you've got people like Nalshadon. No one knows who he is. No, I guarantee you a lot of Christians have never even heard of him, let alone non-Christians. But he plays a key role. He's a key fob in it. Because his father was someone else. And he was the father of Solomon. All these people had a role to play. We don't know what their role is. You don't know what your role is in life. But they all had a role to play in the bigger picture. And when you put that jigsaw together, it's kind of a critical role. That jigsaw is incomplete without that little piece. But also the reason I really appreciate this story now is because each of those names had the same problems that you have. Yes, they didn't have, oh my God, you know, how many people like my posts on Facebook or, oh my God, how many followers have I got on Twitter? They didn't have those problems. But when you boil down our human problems, all the the trivial, you move all the trivial stuff aside, we all have the same problems. Left and right. We all worry about a job. I'm sure those people worried about their jobs. 
They all worried about their economy in some way, shape, or form. Hey, I have this job. Will there be will there be people to buy my services or my products? They all had the the worry of their kids. They all had their, oh my God, you know, my kid's going to go okay at school or, you know, are they going to grow up and be good people? Are they going to be, grow up and, you know, be upstanding citizens and are they going to add something to culture and to society? They all had the same problems that maybe people like me have. Oh my God, I can't find a wife. What am I going to do? Oh my God. We all have the same problems. Whether it's 2,000, 5,000 years ago or today, we all have the same worries. Oh my God, what happens if I get sick tomorrow? Oh my God, what happens, you know, if I can't go to work? Or what happens if the business shuts down? Again, they had all those problems back then as well. But what you see in this story is they all played their role. And they all lived their life the best they possibly could. But we all have the same problems. And guess what's going to happen? If we look back, if we have technology advances and we can all be put on monkey bodies and the world lives to, I don't know, 5000 AD, yes, we'll be still debating over who should be president or who, you know, who, who, what policies we should follow. But when it comes down to it, in the year 5000 AD, we're always going to have the same problems. We're going to worry about our kids. We're going to worry about finding the love of our life. We're going to worry about our health. We're going to worry about our job. We're going to worry about opportunities. The emotions and the little principles that we worry about. All the other stuff changes, the trivial stuff. Oh my God, how many people like me on Twitter? Or whatever is Twitter is in year 5000 AD. We all have problems. But here's the great thing. The great thing about scriptures, if you read them, is you understand it's a journey. And there's great solace for someone like me, I believe anyway, in the principle of, and this too shall pass. If you're struggling right now, if you're hurting right now, if you're just really upset and you're looking and you're worried about your job or you're worried about your health or you're worried about your parents or you're worried about your kids, understand that this will pass. This will pass. There will come a time when we won't talk about the coronavirus. There will come a time when we'll start worrying about something else. But we can use this as an opportunity to grow. We can use this as an opportunity to look inward and go, hey, what do I not like? And what can I change? This is a wonderful opportunity. This is a wonderful opportunity to be better and to start changing the narrative around what's really important. What's really important in your life? And if you're in America... What's really important for the future of America? What legacy do you want to hand off to your kids and your grandkids? The question I believe this generation has to answer is a question of what does America mean to you? Because I see that question and that meaning change over the years. It means different things to different people. But for those who are listening and go, oh, John, there you go. You've talked a lot about scriptures today. Oh, can you just stop? Can you give me a more, you know, a, a, you know, a more realistic example? Because, you know, scriptures didn't happen. Okay. Well, instead of talking about the genealogy of Jesus, last week, England celebrated the 70th anniversary of VE Day. Sorry, the 75th anniversary of VE Day. World War II. 
All those brave men and women who did incredible roles during World War II, where they looked at one of the most disgusting, vile ideologies that man has ever known in Nazism, where it has brought in class warfare as, oh, we're not the problem. We're the Aryan race. We're better. It's the Jews that are the problem. All those brave men and women who did incredible roles, all those brave kids who were 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, storming the beaches of Normandy. You think they had their problems? Do you think at some point in their time they had worries about their life? Do you think they had the same worries? Oh, gee, I wonder how my job is going to, am I going to get to go back to my job? Will I survive this invasion? Oh, I wonder, will I find the love of my life? Or if they had kids, will my kids grow up if I can't see them? Will they grow up to be good people of society? We all have the same problems when it comes down to a principal point of view. Yes, the, the semantics change, the, the people involved change, the, the opinions change. But when you boil down the problems and the worries we have of what's really important to us, we're all the same. The question boils down to, are we willing to grow? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to pass on a better future for our kids and our grandkids? World War II said yes. If you look at every stage of the American journey, all the way back to 1620, every generation got that bit better. Are we going to do the same? Can we do the same? Will we hand off a legacy of what America truly means to Americans and to the world? Because I don't want to live in a world from a very selfish point of view where the impact of America is forgotten. Where the impact of that American spirit, that American dream, those Americans' ideals are just a, another page in the history book. I want them to be part of our life, not just in America, but around the world. Or maybe we can all just give up and just, you know, accept that government grows and there's nothing we can do to stop it. But I don't believe that's true. Because I'll finish up with this point. The idea of America is making the impossible possible. Just when you get to a point in America where you think, I can't continue. I can't win. We're going to have to give up. The American spirit says, no, we won't. And yes, we will win. Just look at your founding principles. Look at your founding fathers. Look at the Revolutionary War. Look at the, the battle for the Constitution. Look at the Bill of Rights. Look at the War of 1812. Look at slavery. Look at the Great Depression. Look at the Cold War. You're starting to see a trend. Every time it was against the odds, that's when you're at your best. I shall see you in two weeks. And as always, we salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never ever forget, you're the secret sauce, not Donald Trump, not Nancy Pelosi, not Kevin McCarthy. You are. Because America is great. Because Americans are good. Have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.